Welcome to my podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Kane, a naturopathic doctor with a master's in clinical psychology and a former anxiety sufferer turned anxiety freedom rebel. much for being here today. Welcome to the Get Your Life Back podcast. Today, I am accompanied by the health hacked extraordinaires who are also brothers, Aaron and Andy. And today we are going to talk about how you can start the process of demystifying data that you're reading. And so I want to read to you just a little bit from the bio that I have for Andy and Aaron. And before I do that, I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be an awesome interview. So thank you guys for being here today. Yeah. Thank you. Excited to be here. Let me just brag on you a little bit. So Andy and Aaron are brothers and they started their careers as certified public accountants for a global accounting firm before discovering their passion for health. And after personally experiencing the shortfalls of the current healthcare system and discovering the power of preventative care, Andy and Aaron decided to use their investigative expertise as financial statement auditors to apply those skills to health news. And before we jump into the interview, I want to make sure that if you're able to get on your mobile device or your computer is to write down their information because you're going to want to save it for later. You can find them on Instagram at healthhacked, and that's spelled health, and then hacked is H-A-C-K-D. And in there, you're going to see a bunch of resources in their bio. And I highly recommend checking out their weekly health newsletter. It's got a ton of great information that you're not going to want to miss. And so without further ado, let's dive into the interview. So thank you again for being here, guys. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for that introduction as well. Yeah, the pleasure. We were just talking before we started the recording today about how we met and I remember seeing your information for the first time on the social media wall of Ryan McGuire of the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. I, I think he, he mentioned you and, uh, and we connected and really liked the content that, that you were putting out on, uh, on mental health and all that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, I think it makes for a good connection. It's awesome because I feel like there's this slippery slide between good data and just data that is put out there and having the opportunity to sort of straddle that integrative line where I come from Western medicine and I did breast cancer research at Baylor College of Medicine, but then as a naturopathic physician, I've, I've had this opportunity to kind of almost see both ends of the spectrum. And I really admire and respect your approach where you're looking at integrative treatments, you're looking at integrative claims, but you're really putting the accountability bar up higher to make sure that what's being said is actually reflective of reality. And I'm sort of curious, how did you get here? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So both Aaron and I kind of had our own path to this whole health and wellness, you know, integrative uh, health journey. Um, 
each kind of had our own path that converged at the same time. So I'll, I'll kind of give a little bit about how I got there. Then Aaron can talk about his side of things. So it started about four years ago when my wife was, um, having some vision issues. She, uh, it was just starting to get blurry in one eye and you know, she didn't think much of it. And then it started to get worse to the point where like half her vision was just dark, like black in one eye. She couldn't see out of half her eye. And so that was scary. We went to the eye doctor and he ruled out like detached retina and all this stuff, all the eye stuff on the surface level. So he said, you know, it may be neurological. So that was scary. Got an MRI. And at that point she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which is an autoimmune condition. And so that was a really scary time. We weren't sure like how to treat it. What's the, you know, what's the best medication. Um, so we, we cycled through a few different medications and, and we wanted to see if there's anything else we could do. Like, could we improve nutrition, exercise, stress? Like, are, are these things going to help, um, prevent the progression of it? And doctors told us, no, really your only option is medication. And I have nothing against the medication, but she, she took the medication and it really caused a lot of fatigue. Uh, she just like, couldn't do anything. And so I read, I, I found this, this doctor, uh, Dr. Terry walls, who herself, she, she has MS herself and she kind of developed this nutrition protocol, exercise, stress management, all these things to help manage the progression and kind of like rebuild the brain uh, you know, in a healthy way. And so we started implementing that. And within a month of, of doing the, the diet, the exercise, all that stuff, she felt like a new person. Fatigue was gone. She had all this energy back. She said, I feel better now than I did like before I was even diagnosed with MS. And so that just like completely opened my eyes to the power of some of these lifestyle practices, like how, how life-changing they are. And, um, she's been doing that for, for a couple of years have had the past couple of years have had, uh, clean MRIs. The, the MS does not seem to be progressing at this moment. I know that can change at any point, but at that point I just started doing like a ton of reading, uh, reading books, um, reading research from you know, legit sources, like peer reviewed journals, things like that. And, and just trying to educate myself on how nutrition exercise, uh, you know, mental health, stress management, all those things can like impact how we feel and how long we live. Uh, and I want to see other people have that same realization. Uh, we we've talked about it on our podcast before, but six in 10 adults have at least one chronic disease and four in 10 adults have two or more chronic diseases. And it's just sad to see some of those people. Like I, I know I have friends and family that are suffering from chronic illness and people are living longer, but the quality of life is getting worse. And I, I hate to see that when there, there are things that we can do. I know some conditions are, are not preventable, but there are things that we can do to improve our quality of life. And so that's, um, that's kind of what led me to this, uh, this point in my health and wellness journey. It's kind of like necessity begats evolution or kind of looking at other options. And so it sounds like, you know, you were, you were empowered with this wisdom and knowledge to a degree. And then at some point there, it became limiting. And what I think is also profound that you're describing is the experience of a doctor putting a period at the end of the sentence. And I really resonate with this because growing up, I witnessed 
health issues in my family. And oftentimes the response was, I trust my doctor. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important to trust your doctor and to also make sure that you don't put a period at the end of what your doctor says, because each person may have their own limitations or their own blind spots. And so you begin the process, the journey of looking for more information and looking for data. And that's part of what has helped this transformation for her. Yeah. And I know. I think that's, I think that's great. I think it's all about, and you talk about it, like take, taking health back into your own hands, you know, like we do have some, you know, control we do have. So we're not helpless. That was one thing that we encountered. Um, you know, my wife and I, when we were going through this, we felt helpless. Like we just wanted someone to, to, to tell us what to do. And, and it came to us just, you know, having to, um, having to do some of our own research, which is frustrating and it's time consuming, but like the, the payoff was well, well worth it. Yeah. I think people really just want like an an easy answer. Now we're, we're so overwhelmed with information that people are like, okay, what's just the easiest way to get an answer. And for health, it's like, go to your doctor and do whatever they say. And more often than not, they, they will give you a a better answer than, than, you know, um, they're well-trained in, in the profession, but they don't know all the nuances of your own life. Like there's a lot of things in your history, whether that's physical or mental, that, that you just can't share all of that with your doctor. So um, it is important to, to do your own research, especially with now how much access to information we have. Like we have the tools to really discover whatever you need to discover just through using the internet. Now it does take some work. You have to weed out the good information from the bad. That That's a challenge on its own. But I think we're at you know a time in life where we can get the opinion of a professional like that's that's necessary. But in addition to that, pair that with outside information and kind of converge those together. And maybe that's meeting somewhere in the middle on on the actions that you actually take. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, Aaron, to hear a little bit about your story. So Andy's going through this journey with his wife, and and then it sounds like what you described in the beginning is you guys kind of converged in creating this amazing enterprise. And so I'm sort of curious if you could share how you got here. Yeah. So I think, um, it goes back to er- the early start of our career. Like, like you mentioned in our bio, we're both certified public accountants. So we studied, you know, accounting in college. And then we went, went on to work for a, uh, one of the big four accounting firms. And if you don't know much about, I guess the, the history of those, like it, you, you are working, uh, it's a grind, like working there is a grind, especially your first few years, um, you get to periods where you're working, you know, 80 to 90 to hundred hours a week. And that takes a toll on you both physically and mentally. <clears throat> um, and something I was experiencing kind of through that period and leading up to it was I was having just really bad stomach pains and digestive issues. Um, and I, I couldn't figure it out. I tried to kind of do my own thing at first. And then I went to a point where I just, I went to a doctor and try to get some guidance there. And um, that's a very complex issue to, to get any type of, you know, gastrointestinal issue solved. I mean, it can be a, a thousand different things. Um, I didn't end up going to a specialist. I stayed just with, a um, primary care doctor and I went two different times and was basically given medication both times to try to solve the issue. And unfortunately for me, it, that didn't, that didn't solve it. Um, there was some underlying issue that was still present 
And I, I didn't go on to seeing a specialist. I wanted to kind of still wait it out a little bit. And at this time I was transitioning actually out of that career of, of being a, a CPA or of working at a big four accounting firm. So I was there for two years and those two years were very, uh, hard on me, like uh, physically and mentally, like I mentioned, uh, my sleep was very poor. My, my diet was really bad. Um, I wasn't exercising as much as I had used to, that used to be a big part of all throughout college. I was exercising and I kind of put that on hold. Uh, my personal relationships were, were not great. Um, my, my mental health was not great. And all this was just in a really bad spot. And during this time I, I moved on from that job. Like I, I decided, you know, I, I want a more steady job to where it is not affecting my physical health. So after about three months tra of transitioning out of that job, I started doing these things. I started really focusing on, on the importance of getting seven to nine hours of sleep, of eating whole foods, exercising consistently, and really focusing on just like on, on de-stressing and remaining in a good headspace because that was not at all what I had experienced over the past two years. And over the course of that time, I, the kind of stomach issues just slowly started to fade away and to a point where I am nearly back to like no issues at all. Like occasionally I'll, I'll have an upset stomach, but for the most part, it's completely gone. And I should mention this before I did get tested of, of like all types of, um, I got my blood tested and I got like any type of allergens tested as well. And, and those came back negative. So it wasn't, it wasn't something I was eating. So it was these lifestyle changes of, of sleep, of getting rid of stress, of improving my relationships, of working out, doing those things consistently um, over just three months had an impact on, on my physical health. So I, I can't pinpoint to exactly what it was. I think it was a mix of all of those things. I don't know what the underlying issue was in the first place either, but that goes to say that lifestyle choices and lifestyle habits do have a really significant impact on your, on your physical and mental health. And just like pinpointing the mental health there, those two years of working in that job were, uh, were, were very, very challenging mentally. So getting out of that, it just completely shifted, um, I guess, shifted and improved the anxiety. And um, it, it was just a, a bad, a bad headspace. And it's interesting to see how, how much that side of like the mental health side does impact your physical health as well. So kind of a, a long-winded story there, but just the, the end of result was lifestyle changes like Andy's story as well can impact your, your health very significantly. I think that's a really empowering reminder too, for my listeners who feel like they're at the end of their rope that feel completely helpless, that, that their doctors, like you're going to have to take these medications forever. And if they don't work, then that's this tough mm -hmm. luck. It's as good as it gets. <laughs> And both of you have a similar story where getting information, doing the research, reading the data, and then making changes. And both of you tell the story about changing lifestyle, nutrition, and, and then you specifically emphasize too, Aaron, the importance of stress and how the stress is impacting the mind-body link, how that the proof is in the pudding. It's what you see. And, and yet at the same time, there are research articles that come out that say it doesn't matter. And 
In fact, I remember reading a study about how vitamin E doesn't work. And so it was all over. My, my dad actually thinks he's a doctorate in Google. So he'll send me these articles. Oh, Nicole, you, why are you trying to get us to take vitamin E? It doesn't work with this. <laughs> and so then if you read deeper into the research, it's like, okay, so it's a, a chemical derivative of vitamin E at a subclinical dose for a short amount of time in like an N of six. Right. <laughs> And yet it's being disseminated all over the place and political agendas are being founded on these research articles. And so this is where Health Act can really make a a profound impact. And so I'm kind of curious about the conversation that happened between you two and how Health Act was born. Yeah. So um, I think you had mentioned it in the intro, but Health Act is just a weekly newsletter that sort of compiles all the the latest research on uh, nutrition, fitness. We have like a mind slash mental health section. Sometimes we'll do sleep or other lifestyle lifestyle things. Um, a lot of people, there, there's so much information out there. Like when you go to Apple News or Google News or, or just browse, browsing social media, it's so hard to know what to believe and what actually has evidence behind it. And there's a lot of conflicting information. And when people see conflicting information, they, they kind of freeze. They don't know what to do. Wait, actually, this was just a, a study that will, uh, I think we're including it in our next issue of health act, but basically if people see conflicting information, they're less likely to help take health recommendations moving forward. And so you have all this information out there. People don't know what to believe. And so what we wanted to do, and we, we recognize this all the time, because like when we were, it started as a podcast and then we made the newsletter, we were seeing all this information and it took a lot of time to actually like dig down into, you know, the, the evidence, like you were saying, like sometimes you actually have to dig into the studies and see what even the conclusion that they're making or the conclusion that this article or social media post is making does not agree with like the study or it's just a poor quality study. So we thought, how can we, but, but nobody's going to want to do all the research that that is required to get to that point. Understandably, a lot of people don't have the energy and time, especially, especially for just a normal person who isn't interested in, in health. Like it's not a hobby to them. Uh, so we thought, how can we take all this information out there, filter out the garbage and just take like actually high quality research and put it in a way that people will actually read. Um, and, and like normal, normal people that are browsing and getting their most of their information from social media and, and, and news outlets, how can we make them want to read this? So basically what we do is we take latest research again, it's all, it's all from, you know, high quality studies and we kind of boil it down into a couple paragraphs. So, People don't want to, people don't have to read the entire study. They don't have to read through an entire article. It's just boiling it down into a way that is short, uh, right to the point. It gives people the takeaways, how they can, you know, apply it themselves. And, you know, and we try to, we try to work in some humor too. So it's entertaining and and people want to read it. So, and we weren't seeing that done out there. Um, You know, a lot of like things that you see are just clickbait. So we wanted to, filter that out. And we want everything that's in that newsletter to be actually useful and applicable and most of all supported by evidence. Yeah. And how we, how we got to the point of the newsletter, like we started out as just a podcast. So we had a podcast for two years and we still do do the podcast weekly. Um, and, and with the podcast, you can, you know, explain things, talk through them and really dive into the details and, and explain, um, 
go to go through a study and explain it in detail without having to do this super high level stuff that we do in the newsletter. And plenty of people, there's plenty of great resources out there with podcasts. Um, we enjoy doing it, so we continue to do ours. But there are fortunately a lot of good resources out there with with various podcasts who give great information. Um, with with uh, the newsletter, that's that's what the reason we wanted to kind of break off and also do the newsletter was because we saw when you're like Andy said, scrolling through the headlines, you do, do see a lot of clickbaity titles where they aren't necessarily the content of the article is not necessarily backed by a study, or if it's backed by a study, it's not necessarily a good one. So that's why we decided to add the newsletter on as well, because it, it we want to break in to, to that news cycle and that information that people get out there and try to provide something that people can read quickly. Um, that's entertaining, but also more importantly, uh, backed by high quality studies. And I love how you've executed that because the content is something that you can digest really quickly. Like I finish a meeting, just need to distract my brain, can read it in a minute or less. It is entertaining. It's, I, I love that you put humor, a little bit of quirkiness into that. And brevity is not always my strong suit, but it is yours because you are able to distill a pretty complex, complex topic into something short so that you can get the data and move on. I'm curious if you could, because you do have this very analytical background, both of you in your training and finance. I'm curious what kinds of metrics are you using when deciding, okay, this is a legitimate study or this part is good, but that part isn't, I'm going to include this in the newsletter or I'm not just kind of curious about your process. Yeah, that, that's a good question. So we start, we try to go to, you know, the source, like, I mean, number one, like, does this come from a, a, a peer reviewed journal is this from a, a reputable source you know who, who conducted the study that's obviously where was it published that's important um you you alluded to one of them like sample size is important the the type of study that was done so was this just a uh was this just observational were we just looking at data correlations which can be very useful and can point us in the right direction. But a lot of times when you're looking at studies that are just simply looking at correlations, you can draw a wrong conclusion because correlation does not always equal causation. So if we mm -hmm. can, we try to find studies that are trials, randomized controlled trials, um, so that actually causation can be associated with that. Now we can't do that every single time because it's not like a the perfect study comes out every single week, but that's one. And then, you know, was it done on humans because you know, animal trials don't always you know, translate to human trials. Um, so those are some things that we use. You know, how long was it done? You had mentioned that as well. Was this a two week, two week trial or was this done for, for several months? So that's how weak we kind of do it. Those are some things that, that we evaluate. Aaron, I don't, I don't, did I miss anything? No, I think that covers the main ones. I mean, one thing to be aware of, and there's, it's hard to always watch out for this, but it's just any type of potential bias within the study. Um, you can look at most, I, I don't know if mo I think all show at the very bottom of the study, like where the funding came from to conduct the study. And, you know, that's not always it, just because a, a bias looks apparent there doesn't always mean that bias is within the study. Um, but it is something to take note of. So we do try to watch out for that. Just take a quick glance at who funded the study. And if there is a potential bias, we try to take that into account as we're reading the study. So that takes a little bit more 
um, I guess, work to figure that out. But that's that's a one additional thing to that we what we watch out for when we're reading different studies. Aaron, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about Prozac when it was introduced to the market. It took over 20 studies to prove mm. that it was better than placebo. Mm-hmm. And the, the manufacturers of Prozac were behind funding the study. And yet mm. they couldn't even before 20 studies demonstrate efficacy and it still got pushed through. Wow. And and then we have one really crummy study on vitamin E that isn't really following the high scientific method that we would expect on pharmaceuticals. They aren't being applied to some of these integrative methods. And so then they're getting thrown out. And so it's like this larger, not to get too much into politics, but it feels like there is this larger political bias because if right. you have more money, you have more freedom to keep doing studies and you know, Mark Twain mm-hmm. says there are lies, there are damned lies, and then there are statistics. <laughs> right. Having yeah. the financial freedom to kind of work towards getting the data that you want. And I feel like that's got to be a real, really large challenge because you are approaching the integrative world. And how are you navigating that dance? Yeah, it, it, it really is tough because a lot of these labs, they're doing the studies. They want to do research but sometimes like the biggest funding is coming from pharmaceutical companies and, you know, they don't I'm not, not saying there's always like this collusion, but like there is some influence there. Like if somebody, if this big company, this big organization is going to write you a grant to continue your job and so you can continue to employ, you know, your, your workers, like that's, you know, you're, you're going to want to write a more favorable outcome and not, not saying that that happens all the time, but like, it's just something to really, really be aware of. Um, but, but, but it's tough too, because like with studies around like Prozac, those, those are going to get a ton of funding from first pharmaceutical companies, but nutrition studies, really well done nutrition studies are, are hard because you have to be really specific about what you're tracking. Cause there's so many inputs. It's, it's not just like a pill. There's many different ways of eating. And then what's really the benefit to who's the, the end beneficiary of a study that shows I don't know, you know, but whatever vegetables are, vegetables are good for you. I mean, there's not a ton of, uh, the, the, the beneficiary there is really the, the patient, the end person. So there's not a ton of, ton of money to be made in nutrition research, which is very frustrating. And it's like the ruler that we're using to measure something's value is it's almost like valuing a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I give you this pharmaceutical and a double double blind study. I created this method for analyzing it, but then maybe nutrition, if I have someone eat an apple a day and they don't get better and yet somebody else eats an apple a day, they do get better. We can't necessarily use that same rule of measurement to create that, that same outcome. And so it's like, in some sense, research and, and, doing these studies can be life-changing and opening of therapies for people. But then in another sense, it can almost hold us captive to this idolatry of study. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of, uh, call it conventional medicine, uh, they can be very effective at treating acute conditions. Like for instance, you have a broken arm. Well, if you just have a broken arm, like you need to get that fixed, like just eating an apple is not going to just make your arm magically heal. So the good at like acute conditions, but 
very, very bad at managing chronic conditions. And I think that's where preventive preventative medicine comes in and is really effective at meeting preventative med at treating chronic illness. Um, but those things don't get as much funding, which is unfor unfortunate because I feel like it really could save people so much pain and misery and, and money. Yeah, and I feel like just the, the healthcare system as a whole is very, it's more focused on being pro or being reactive rather than proactive. So like, even if you just look at, you know, the types of things insurance covers, like anything, any type of problem that you existingly have, and you go into the doctor insurance will be like, yeah, we'll cover that. But if you're trying to do something to prevent an illness, so like, uh, just take a, like uh, chiropractors or like massage therapy, things that, you know, you're doing these things to help continue your body stay aligned and, and healthy and the muscles loosened up. Like those types of things are ignored. A lot of times, um, it's just therapy, like a therapy, uh, for any type of mental conditions, anxiety, depression. A lot of times, uh, it's harder, much harder for insurance to get that covered. And like, those are really important things and things that the problems don't, you don't see the problems until they happen. Um, and there's so much preventative care that can go on, but people often just don't do it because it, it is expensive and you do have to, um, do your own research. And if you want to get it, if you don't want to do your own research, you have to go to some type of integrative doctor. And again, a lot of those aren't covered by insurance. So it's the, the healthcare industry as a whole is, um, yeah, it's much more, more reactive than proactive, which is unfortunate. Um, and I, I, I think there's starting to be a little shift in that with, with the popularization of integrative medicine. I think we're seeing preventative care be more, um, the importance of it is being becoming more realized. So hopefully that shift continues. Um, but yeah. And I think you're a part of that shift. I think that the work that you're doing in demanding high integrity research and working on stopping the spiral of clickbait as a primary form of information dissemination, but rather you are seeing a problem and you've identified a solution that has the potential to positively impact a mass group of people. And I really admire and respect that. And so if, if we kind of do a, a zoom in, zoom out, and I'm curious about how your lives over the, the longitudinal trajectory, as you've taken your own personal zigs and your own personal zags, how it has happened that you've kind of ended up on this mission together. And it's, I'm kind of asking kind of a, like a long winding question as I think about it out loud, but maybe if, if there's like a moment when you were younger or a way that your family culture was that you were younger, that sort of helped plant the seed for where mm. you are now? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, one thing that just immediately comes to mind is our watching our grandparents age. My dad's dad had Parkinson's and that was a long, slow decline physically and mentally. That was, was difficult to watch. Um, and then, and until eventually, you know, he just, he died there. There wasn't, it was just, how can we slow down the progression? And, and it was this slow descent. And then his wife, my grandma, she was a diabetic her whole life and never didn't really manage it well. And didn't have a lot of the, the support from the preventative area. It was just, you know, take your, take your shot. She was type two, um, mm -hmm. type two diabetic. And 
just didn't get a lot of like support or, or education on how best to manage it. And that was also hard to watch as she got neuropathy in, in her feet and she was just miserable all the time. And it, it's hard. I think that's when it hits you the most is when you see somebody you love start to decline and just live in, in chronic pain. It's, it, it's, it's tough to see. So I think, I think that planted a seed. Yeah. I, I mean, really all, all four of our grandparents, um, they all, all passed away. Like when we were really young, like it was our, uh, for me, my early twenties, when all, all four of our grandparents were, were gone and you, you saw the lifestyle they lived out, um, in terms of how, how well they took care of their bodies, it, it wasn't great. And we, we saw the impact that had, and it affected us, um, because we didn't get to, we didn't get to have them around, um, extremely long and that was difficult. Um, but that has not only impacted us, it's impacted uh, their son. So our, our dad has, I think he's seen that as well. And he's made it a huge shift in his lifestyle. So I don't know. I mean, he's always been fairly healthy, but in the past 10 years, he's been very um, constantly active. I mean, people like he, he does CrossFit style workouts and he's in his late mid mid he's in his mid sixties and he is like, has a six pack. He's looks more in shape than we are. Um, so it, it's crazy to see like how, how much that impacted him as well and trickles down to impact, impact us. So now we see him and it's like somebody who's in their mid sixties and has a six pack and is in great shape and eats well. Like that's also inspiring for us to see that and to want other people, you know, other people in their sixties to, to be like him and, and have those same lifestyle changes. Yeah. And that's, like when we all get together, we, we work out like he's 63 <laughs> years old and like, we can all still work out together, which is just, <laughs> I'm so grateful that, you know, he has made some changes and he, again, like he, he kind of had his own journey. I think seeing his parents go through that, but then with our journey, we've kind of, whenever we got together, we'd talk about health stuff and our, our my whole family, our whole family is kind of just gradually shifted to this more integrative approach, which has been really, really cool to see. And it's given me optimism. I know when you're out on social media, it can, it can feel like there's no hope left in, in the world, but like there, there is a, a lot of people and there's a lot of research being done on how we can live not only longer, but live better. Like I, I, I joke, but I'm kind of serious. Like I, I think I can live to 120 and, uh, I can be in, in my nineties and, and, be completely active. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of making some of those changes today. Um, but, but it's possible like our, our, our bodies were, were built for more than just, um, sitting around it and deteriorating. And, uh, and, and I think that's coming to light more and more now. Yeah. I love what you said. We were built for so much more and one of my favorite authors, his name is Samuel Hahnemann, and he writes a book called The Organon of Medicine. And in the book, in chapter nine, he calls them aphorisms, but in chapter nine, he talks about the goal of health. And he, it's really different because in the Western medicine model, health is the absence of disease. But Hahnemann writes that the goal of the physician is to help the body enter such a state of health that it obliges wonderment by those looking as the body and the mind reaches its lofty of lofty loftiest goals of human potential. Mm. And oh my gosh, I feel then Love suddenly that. 
the ceiling is opened up for the potential that we have. And it's like what you were saying, Andy, it's like, it's like maybe people will scoff 120, but really the definition of health for you is different because you've seen the potential that the mind and the body have when working in alliance and allegiance with them. Yeah. I love that. No, I think that's so huge. It's, it's, seeing, you know, seeing our, our bodies for what they are, they are this, uh, this amazing thing that, that has so much potential. And, um, yeah, the, you, t- you talk about like the absence of disease, like we, we can thrive. It doesn't just have to be just living. Like we have the opportunity to thrive. There's a, um, a book on longevity by, uh, David Sinclair called lifespan, which was great on, on longevity, on how, how much potential we actually have as humans in terms of living long and living well. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more, more hopeful than ever now about that. And listeners, this is coming from somebody who's been reading the research, who's been walking the walk, doing the work with family, with, with his wife. And I think that having that hope, I hope that that's contagious for our listeners. And So as we, as we finish up in this conversation, I feel like I could talk with you guys for hours. And so we'll have to, we'll have to do this again, (laughs) but I'm kind of curious about how people can filter headlines. So they've listened to this interview. They've listened to this podcast. They've gotten on your newsletter. They're getting things that you've curated and distilled for them. But as I'm scrolling through social media, how can I make sure that I'm filtering headlines properly? Yeah, that's a, a really important question because most people, um, there's a, 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 let me pull up the stat here. I think it was um, the people where they, where they get their news from and a majority of people get their news from, from social media. I believe it was 40%, um, especially those who are younger, much more get their news from social media. I believe it was 45% get it from social media and only 25% um, prefer to do their own research. So a majority of people get more news from social media, from news headlines over their own research. That's, that's not a surprising stat. Um, and it's particularly true for the younger generation. So, um, that, being able to navigate that is extremely important. So whether you read a headline or, or see a social media post, I think one, I mean, the one thing you should look out for is, you know, is, is this, is there a scientific study to back this up? If it's a good news article, that will be linked. Um, not that it's not true. If there's nothing linked at all, um, it's, you, you hope there is a link there, but that's kind of the number one uh, criteria to go through. Like, is there something here? Can, can you validate this claim that they're making in this article or in this post? You know, on Instagram or, or Twitter, whatever social media you're on, typically people don't cite their sources on their uh, we try to as much as possible, but for that, you are going to have to go do your own Google research, which takes extra time and people don't want to do that. But it really is important, especially if you're like resharing health related information on Instagram, you really want to kind of check that. Like, don't, don't take it for what it is. I mean, even us, like don't, don't reshare our stuff without validating it yourself. So do a quick Google shirt search. If there's nothing um, linked, no scientific study, um, connected to that and, and validate that first. It, it typically takes just a couple minutes. It's worth the due diligence. So that's kind of cri- criteria one is make sure this is valid and based on a study, um, making sure just like all the information is there, making sure it's a complete set of information 
a lot of times you'll see a an article or a social media post published that it's true, but sometimes they kind of like ignore the other side of the story. They're not telling the full picture. So although what they're saying is based on science, it is true. There's also another side that would be more revealing if they shared it. And oftentimes it's just kind of brushed under the rug to, to make a, a stronger point. Um, I guess I have an example of that, that we, we saw, and um, it was like a, a picture of a steak and it was just comparing steak and black beans. It was just comparing the two and seeing which one is more nutrient, like has more nutrients in it. And it showed that the, the steak and the black beans, it showed them ha- having the equal amount of protein. And then it showed that the, um, steak was higher, you know, in, in sodium cholesterol, all the historically bad things. And then the black beans were high in fiber. They were high in, I don't, I don't have this, the numbers in front of me, but like calcium, magnesium, things like that. So vitamins that it was high and was listed, but it, the stats were true. Like what they showed on, on the comparison was true. Like the, the nutrients was an accurate representation, but what it left out were two really important nutrients, which was vitamin B12 and zinc, which those are two extremely important nutrients. If you're doing like a plant-based or a vegan diet, um, those are two that you typically need to supplement because they are challenging to get through just a strict plant-based diet. So a lot of vegans will supplement with B12 and zinc, but those were like left off the list completely because steak has extremely high amounts of both of those. So if you were to add those on, it's like, uh, well, steak really isn't that bad. If it, it has much more nutrients here that you don't get in any plant-based food. So like, that's an example of something that you see fairly common, mainly on social media, where this is a true statement. But if you dig a little bit deeper, there's some underlying things that are, are not shared. So um, just being sure you're you're looking out for a potential bias because it does exist in a lot of what's out there, unfortunately, um, and not taking things just just at base value. Um, so those are those are two things I'd say to watch out for. Andy, do you have anything to to add to that? Yeah, I think the last one, and this one's really important, is like, is the information relevant? Like relevant to me? Um, like all of us are, are different. Like we're all human. So, you know, we all have, you know, uh, same types of DNA, but we have different gut microbiomes. We have, you know, different, uh, medical histories, different metabolism, various abilities to digest certain foods. Like for instance, some people can tolerate gluten just fine. Others can't. Uh, A lot of people cannot tolerate dairy, but, but some people can. So just because you see an article, you know, claiming one thing, it, it may not be true for you. Uh, there really is no, no one size fits all for health. Like each of us are unique and each of us require a unique solution to whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. And I think a lot of times that just takes experimenting to see what works for you and what doesn't not, not saying that the evidence doesn't matter, but like when it comes down to it, like there is no one thing that, that is perfect for everyone. I think everyone's a little, a little bit different. So it's important not to be discouraged when you see something on social media and it doesn't work for you in the, in the end, you want information that is relevant to you and, and helps you progress towards, towards your goal. So to, to recap that we do have a little acronym. It's a dumb acronym acronym, but VCR like va- validate the claim, uh, make sure it's complete and relevant. So is it valid? Is it complete? Is it relevant? Um, 
obviously you can dig into the studies much more. A lot of people aren't going to do that. I think if you do these things, you can at least filter out like 95% of the garbage. I think VCR is such a great message to end this conversation on is validation. So that's V and then C is you said credit complete completion, complete completion. So validation completion, and then relevance. Is Mm -hmm. it relevant for you? Cause that's the art of medicine is individualizing it to your particular needs. So VCR, uh, you guys, it's been such a pleasure. It, we've been talking with Andy and Aaron of healthhacked.com. They are the home of a newsletter that demystifies the fire hose to the face of information that's out there on the internet. They distill it into digestible, entertaining, and rigorously evaluated data that you can get access to from the privacy of your phone and your computer. And so find them on Instagram. They have a great uh, bunch of links in the bio with resources and offerings. And definitely check out their weekly health newsletter at healthhacked.com. And thank you so, so much, Andy and Aaron, for being here. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Dr. Nicole Kane, a naturopathic doctor with a master's in clinical psychology. While these opinions are based upon literature, her counseling education, medical training, and clinical experience, this content should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on these subjects. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for any sort of medical, psychological, or other form of treatment. If you are in a crisis, please call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. If you're in need of counseling, don't hesitate to make an appointment with a counselor in your area. Dr. Nicole Kane is so passionate about people getting their life back. If this resonates with you and you think this podcast would help someone you love, please share it with them. Stay in the conversation with Dr. Nicole Kane about writing the next chapter of your life so that it plays out just the way you want it. Explore your options for working with her at www.drnicolekane.com. That's Dr. D-R, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, Kane, C-A-I-N.com. When you're there, be sure to take advantage of the free Anxiety Freedom One Week Challenge. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Get Your Life Back podcast. Here's to your next chapter.